again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast. We are up to episode number 118. I am Michael Citro. I am the managing editor of themainland.com. And uh, joining me, David Rowe up in Tallahassee. How's it going, Dave? It's excellent because we're recording this on a Wednesday, and that's actually my day off, which made all this much easier for me than it usually is. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, of course, we were day late this week due to... Uh, our normal recording night uh, happened on uh, is Tuesday, which uh, happened to be the night that the U.S. men's national team uh, played this week against Paraguay, and we will talk a little bit about that uh, a little later in the show. But uh, that gives us an extra day, and uh, all it does is compress my uh, my mid to middle mid week to end of the week uh, schedule, which is uh, already hectic. But we'll we'll get it done. We'll get her done. But uh, also, a good thing is that we are now in the Orlando Pride's 2018 season, so that's good. Uh, we're coming off a bye week for Orlando City, uh, but there's as always plenty of news, and uh, we're here to talk about that because that's the thing that yeah. we do. Yeah, that's quite literally what this podcast is about. That's why you, most of you are listening and the rest of you are listening because you clicked something on accident, I think, probably. But uh, Yeah, they thought they were going to listen to something about, you know, real lions in the safari or something like that. Who knows? Yeah, or they're, you know, they're just uh, their phones acting up and they were hitting buttons and uh, all of a sudden they got us somehow uh, through their. Well, whoever you are and however you got here, welcome. Oh, yes, that's right. We're glad to have you along. Uh, let's uh, start with Dave Orlando City. Uh, two big absences for this weekend. It was announced this week. Uh, Jason Christ said that Jonathan Spector will not play Saturday due to the ongoing concussion protocol. Um, and in addition, Uri Rossell, who returned to full training last week, has had a setback uh, with what we have long suspected was not just a fitness issue, but a knee issue that he uh, picked up. Uh, prior to his arrival, um, apparently a little bit of a setback after returning to training, and he will not be playing this weekend either. Uh, that's a little bit disappointing, but, um, you know, I, I think my takeaways are this. Let's get Specs healthy, uh, let's get Rossell healthy, and let's get him back on the pitch. My other takeaway is that, quite honestly, Orlando City has been talking about fitness. They've been putting fitness on the injury report. Uh, if I'm Major League Soccer, I'm fining Orlando City for, uh, you know, not not really dealing with the real injury here because clearly uh, Rossell has been injured. And so, yeah, everybody that's injured, you can put fitness. You can put fitness down for anything. <laughs> you know, oh, did you dislocate your shoulder? You're not fit to play. Um but, you know, yeah, I, I think this was uh, this this kind of smacks is a little bit shady, uh, in my opinion, uh, to just a little gamesmanship, calling it fitness. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, he's, he's had this knee injury that we've not told you about. And he's had a little bit of setback. But uh, I suspected that it was more than match fitness, because you look at the guy and, uh, you know, the pictures of him arriving and putting his jersey on and taking pictures in the stadium and you go. Uh, this looks like a dude who's in shape, and uh, as long as he's been out trying to quote unquote regain fitness, uh, I mean he could have probably lost a hundred pounds in that time. <laughs> or at least, yeah, one one would suspect that it wouldn't take him that long to get back into whatever they want to say playing shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, I, I think it's more just a, uh, um, it's a thing to agitate me because I I so badly want to. 
have that glorious red beard on the field uh, in that in that uh, defensive uh, midfield position and and see exactly what it is that we got there. But um, it's not to be yet. Uh, but like you, I you know I don't want anybody coming back before they should. All that does is lead to more injuries, like we saw with Dom. And uh, obviously, uh, Spectre needs to be out. Um, he should have been out sooner than he was. Right. Um, you know, that was a that was a whole thing. Um, but uh, the good news is, is that um, unlike uh, last year, we actually have two other center backs that I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about. So uh, it, that gives us the time to let uh, Spectre actually go through the percussion, concussion protocols and get back healthy and uh, safe. Absolutely. I'm with you. I I think anytime you have a a major clash of heads like that, you have to err on the side of caution. Um, I'm not sure who made the decision on the sideline there, but, um, you know, the player, if the player can speak, they're going to tell you to put them back in usually. So you can't listen to the player. The player is going to always say, I'm all right. Uh, And it's like a case of like, you know, uh, the Black Knight on uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail. Your leg's off. No, it isn't. You know? <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> uh, Just a flesh wound. Yeah, so, you know, I, I would have liked to have seen him not go back on it. It's easy to say in retrospect, but if he goes on to play the whole game and doesn't get dizzy afterwards or whatever, uh, then it was the right decision. But it turned out to be the wrong decision, and it's it's very easy to Monday, mor- Monday morning quarterback that when uh, – they do have a list of questions and a list of things that they do and procedures. And if the, the player passes those, you, you know, you tend to put them back on, but every, every concussion, every head injury is different. It affects everybody differently. So it's, it's very difficult to, you know, ultimately deal with that. And, and, you know, one size does not fit all, but still at this point, we're, we're sitting here and, you know, two weeks since the last game inspector is going to be out and you wonder, had he not played the rest of the game or headed another ball, the rest of the game, would he have uh, been okay to go on this weekend? That's a good point. Of course, you know, with, with Spectre, uh, he's always so calm when he's talking to people that, you know, how would you know that he had a head, head injury? Because, you know, he's going to come across <laughs> as, as being just very calm and stable and hey, everything's fine. You know, there's no problems. He, he's like the he's like the NASA engineer of the uh, of Orlando City. You know, nothing phases him. So, uh, but uh, no, it's, it's, it's good that he's going to be uh, I, you know, it's weird to say it. It's good that he will be out because like we say, we need, we need that to be done right. Cause <laughs> yeah. the last thing we want is to have, uh, you know, head injuries are, are very serious and they need to be treated as such. Right. I'm picturing them now. Uh, Jonathan, do you think you're concussed? Mm, I, I don't know that I'm concussed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't quite say that I'm concussed, but you know, we did have a clash of heads. You know, I, you, you could hear right, him. Very, uh, yeah, you could hear very him. Good. Very, very analytical, calm response. You know, <laughs> uh, but and, yeah, we, and you're 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 the one talking about. Well, he seems okay to me. Exactly, he seems like himself. Um, so uh, we want Specs to get well. Uh, it, it it does feel better this year, knowing that. Um, you know, you've got Asane and a, and a Tarek uh, playing well to, to put out there. And, uh, you know, maybe that uh, who knows, maybe that is the starting center back combination the rest of the way. We don't know. I mean, it's when you got three guys that are capable of playing well, if, if these two form a strong partnership, you know, maybe Spectre's the guy who's, uh, you know, filling in somewhere, maybe at fullback, maybe in the midfield somewhere. But uh, 
um, you know, as the team captain, I'm assuming they find a spot for him, even if those other two are playing really well. One would think so, yes. Uh, so that was the bad news. The good news is uh, a couple of guys got to go play for their countries uh, this week and uh, have returned. Um, Yoshimaru Otun, I think, came back a little early because he got a red card in his first international <laughs> game. Uh, actually got two yellow cards. The second was for time-wasting, and it was... Uh, if you watched the U.S. game, you would never suspect that a guy could get sent off in a friendly for a second yellow card for time-wasting, for just standing in front of a free kick uh, to delay a, a restart. Because some of, the, some of the stuff that happened in the U.S.-Paraguay game, there should have been some guys off, and uh, including a, a denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, last man, uh, last defender situation. Uh, which only resulted in a yellow. But, uh, yeah, Yoshi got the second game off, and, um, you know, he's uh, <laughs> he, he came back. He returned to training on Tuesday. Justin Miram played a pair of games for Iraq, and he flew back. As we record this, he flew back today. I don't, I don't even know if he's landed yet, but he was, uh, he was bidding goodbye to uh, to his teammates and to Basra on his uh, on his social media today. So uh, he should be back. I'm guessing in, they give him Thursday off, maybe returns to training Friday, maybe he doesn't. But I would suspect he'll be at least in the 18 and available on Saturday for the Red Bulls at 1 o'clock. Uh, Yotun should be available. Um, you know, obviously, uh, for the first time, Pierre De Silva will be available. Uh, he's coming. Oh, off, hey. He's coming off of uh, the sus- three-game suspension, and um, hey, it's, there's a lot of things looking good. Dom Dwyer, in fact, uh, should be available for Saturday. So, wait a minute. We're going to have more than one forward. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it 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 actually could be, um, you know, pretty good. It could be a pretty good situation where, uh, you know. I kind of always suspected Dom would start on the bench, but you know, if, if Jason th- feels like he could go 60, he might start him and just uh, replace him later in the game. So we'll have to see how it shakes out. But it's, it's nice to know that some pieces are coming back, uh, and that's uh, that's important because uh, even you know now as we talk about Spectre being out and uh, Roselle has not arrived or has not taken the field yet, uh, um, there's still some pieces not quite there. But we you know, now you've got Coleman who appears to be 100%. You've got Dwyer coming back, so you know the the team. It's not just on on the pitch on game day. It's these guys have got to train together. They've got to build up right. chemistry on the on the training ground uh, so that they can carry that into the game. So, um, you know, that's to me that's important. People have compared this situation to Via being out when when Orlando City played New York City FC, and that's not the same thing because Via wasn't out all of preseason. Uh, and then suddenly, you know, he came back or, or whatever. You know, it wasn't the same situation. This was a guy who had been there all along being out, whereas in this other situation for Orlando City, it's guys that have been out, and now they're back in. Or, you know, in some cases, they have never been in. So um, a little bit different uh, setup, but, um, you know, we move forward because that's all you can do. There's three games uh, gone in the season and a whole bunch more to come. And, you know, you've, you've all the points count the same at every point in the season. So uh, the important thing is to go out and get a home result this weekend at Orlando city stadium against Sasha questions, old team. So that'll be an interesting matchup. Yeah. I would imagine that Sasha is pretty pumped about that one. Uh, I'll never say that they are. I mean, it'll just be that, uh, you know, Oh, it's, it's another match and, and uh, you know, I just want to do the best for the team and all that, but uh, it's, it's always going to be, you know, a little bit, 
different, a little bit special when you're you're going up against your your former team. Well, so. say, say that, that, but he actually said, "I want to win this game very badly." <laughs> okay. Well, then again, you know, now I think about it, Sasha is more that uh, that kind of I'm just going to say whatever the heck I'm thinking type. So yeah, okay, that does make sense. Yeah, he's excited. He says he says he said that first win, and it's even better if he can if come against his former team. So we can. Uh, a lot of good stuff, you know. You know he can, he's, he loves it. He's, you know, playing against friends of his family. We want to be those. We want because you know you have to hear from them. Uh, hear from you know, the next day. From you know, uh, if you, if uh, you know, if things don't go well. So, um, you know, this is not just in their game for Sasha. But, you know, I hope that the team plays well. It's all for him, and uh, and and this is very uh, supportive of his efforts to get this victory. And I know everybody that's victorious on that team wants to get this first win. He's victorious way because until you get that first win, there's always that seed of doubt. Things can go. You, you can set up, go in, and, and you know maybe gain some momentum and things like that. So, so maybe it's, you know that's the way it goes. Um, we'll see what happens on uh, on Saturday. We'll talk a little bit more about that. We'll give predictions on our key matchup that we'll a little later in this very program. Uh, let's turn our attention, Dave, to our attention story. Insurance came out just to insurance day, and that is Orlando City, and that city has a new owner, not new owner, and that is primary owner, but has a new owner and has a new investor. As, you know, Flavio... Agosto da Silva has sold a piece of land to sell it. 8.6% of the investment to, um, uh, you know, a, a private investor. And, uh, so he now retains the majority of in the club of 78.96%. So nothing really too uh, much to change in, in terms of that, but change. Inject some, inject some, inject some uh, cash, some cash uh, into the club. It's going to enable the team into the to to uh, into the you know, restructure some financials, and uh, hopefully after, into the after all of that gets done, they'll be able to take on the next big. They'll be able to project the plan, which is of course they'll be able to the big training facility in Laguna. Training facility. Um, the training facility. The minority ownership stake goes to Albert Friedberg from CMI Group uh, of companies, and uh, my understanding is that uh, a minority owner in Celtic over in Scotland. So uh, some. Exp- yep. Uh, yes, he is indeed. And, uh, you know, anytime we get Mo money in, that's Mo better. Um, like you said, there are there are projects like the training facility that uh, we want to happen. And he doesn't just bring money to the table. He's obviously a very savvy businessman, mm-hmm. so he's going to have that. He has, like you say, history of being an owner uh, at Celtic. So he's he has... He has been around this before. This is nothing new for him. And I think if it takes a little of the um, uh, stress and burden off of Flavio, then that's a good thing as well. Um, it's uh, I don't see any I don't see any downsides to this. Uh, you know, like you say, he's just a hair under nine percent uh, owner, you know, stake in the organization. But um, I expect this to to lead to better things. Yeah, apparently this deal took 10 months to put together. So, I mean, you know, high dollar financial deals, uh, you know, are, are not easy to to uh, to complete. They take a while. I mean, you're a car salesman, Dave. So, you know, mm-hmm. even buying a car takes, you know, can take a long time. Uh, yes, it in can. In that case, you know, you're only parting with, you know, what, 20, maybe 
20 to 30,000. 30, yeah. dollars This is a, a considerably higher, uh, <laughs> higher sum of money. Um, yeah, I wouldn't mind having the commission off of that. Yeah, though. no kidding. So, yeah, the, you mentioned this guy. He he was um, a minority shareholder in Celtic from '94 to '99. So he's been involved in the soccer world before uh, his investments. Uh, you know, you know, he's been in the, the mining industry, real estate, forestry. So he's he's just you're like you said, savvy businessman knows what he's doing. Um, the club is you know. The enterprise value of the club is four hundred and ninety point five three million dollars. So, the you know the the estimated uh, you know investment of Friedberg and his uh, group forty two point three million dollars. That's a little more. You can buy a few cars with that, I think. Uh, you can buy a few dealerships with that. Yeah, right. So um, it's good. Like you said, anything that brings cash to the club is be- is is better. It's uh, it's good. I mean, obviously, when Orlando City was a USL team looking for a jump to MLS, Phil Rollins had to find um, you know more ownership, uh, you know, resources, and and that's how he eventually found his way to Flavio, and uh, and now Flavio, of course, being in the in the uh, majority of the ownership group, uh, you know, he needs to occasionally come in uh, and, and bring in additional uh, shareholders. So, um, you know, any influx of cash can only be a good thing for the club. And, and uh, you know, it's good for a change to see uh, some positive news on the business side because, you know, a lot of people still talk about when are they going to name the stadium, when are they going to sell the naming rights and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, maybe this is something that uh, needed to take place and, and, you know, maybe they could still buckle down and get that naming rights deal and get some more cash in here. And, of course, they've got a, a big a big uh, financial outlay in the players that they brought in this offseason. So uh, in addition to all the, you know, you could you could talk about the TAM and the stuff and buying buying players down. But at the end, you, you still have to pay that player. You still have to pay them the salary. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, right, that's that's still money going out. It's not cheap. So. Uh, so good. That's good news. It's good news. I see this as nothing but a positive. Uh, I know some people were a little bit nervous uh, on Twitter asking, you know, does this mean that the club's just uh, shambles um, financially and that this had to happen? And now it's it's I mean, uh, many ventures you will find uh, that, uh, you know, they'll sell off pieces of companies to uh, to uh, to bring in more capital. So, I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that the club is hemorrhaging money. It's just a it's just another way, and I'm, I'm sure he's been. This has been taking place for over 10 months, so obviously he's been working on this a long time, and you know, probably is more or less a constant thing. I mean, but between um, potential investors that want to invest in the team approaching the club and the club actively searching, you know, I'm not exactly even sure which one found the other one. You know, so right, and these guys are playing at a different level when it comes to money than any of us are so you know like you said taking 10 months for this to happen um you know flavio is 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 not in trouble he's he's not out on the corner you know looking you know with a little tin can looking for uh, donations or anything like that uh this was a good business move for the organization nothing more uh it, like i said if it does relieve pressure on flavio a little bit great um, but it's, you know, this is, it's not indicative of, I, I can hear the chatter now of, you know, oh, you know, we got 
rid of OCB. Well, we didn't get rid of OCB. They're taking a year off um, and, and they're going to go in a different direction. But all the little things, you know, oh, you know, we're not spending the way we should. Blah, blah, blah. We spent a ton of money on all these new players. Um, you know, we have that nice, shiny stadium. Um, and there are things that they want to do. This is a way to make that happen. Absolutely. So uh, when you said that um, they're playing at a different level than us, you, of course, you didn't necessarily, you weren't throwing shade at our, at our listeners. You were talking about us here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. No, of course. <laughs> I, have, I mean, I assume that all our listeners are playing at a much higher monetary level than we are. Um, you know, I'm sure it was, it's mostly millionaires out there. And if if I'm wrong, you know, feel free to say something in the comments, guys But uh, uh, and ladies. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's obviously you yeah, and I. I can only hope that they're doing better than, uh, than my level. Um, <laughs> so we mentioned the Orlando Pride earlier. They have kicked off their season, and as – as the Pride is uh, want to do, uh, they kicked off the season without a victory. This is the third season, and for the third time, they did not win their opener. But they did get a point for the first time, uh, playing at home against a brand-new Utah Royals ga- uh, team. The thing that stuck out to me, Dave, this weekend in the NWSL was the the games were all very tight. You had a... Um, you had a, a couple of one ones. You had a, a, I think there was a nil nil. There was a two one, uh, a one nil maybe. Uh, they were all very tight, very competitive games. And the reason for that really is that these teams, unlike unlike most of the MLS teams, they don't really have a legitimate um, preseason because. It, you know they don't they right. don't really go out and play you know teams on their level they go out and they play colleges and and even not even very many of those you know three only three games for the pride in the preseason all against college teams and and not really um what you need to get on the level to start the season everybody's kind of still mm-hmm. considers this everybody we talk to still kind of considers this uh the preseason uh, to some to some extent so uh the all the NWSL teams are in this this same boat. They they don't really have the finances to to all get together and have a big preseason tournament and camp and that kind of thing. Right. So, you know, they make do with the best they got in their area. And you know, uh, the other thing about it is though that a lot of these teams were missing key players throughout because they were in the Algarve Cup or they were off on other international mm-hmm. you know challenges. Uh, some of them were in the She Believes and that kind of thing. So. You know, a lot of teams, a lot of players around the league with their international teams. So it was it was definitely difficult for uh, for a team in the preseason. So you come into the season, you never really know quite what to expect. The Pride go out there against Utah. That's their first game. You know, they're fired up. Ne- they've never played before. That's, they really want to go out and get, mm-hmm. get on a, a good foot, kind of like we saw LAFC with a big, uh, a big first outing at Seattle. And, uh, you know, three minutes into the game, it just takes one little defensive mishap for, um, you know, Utah to really capitalize. And one of the league's most underrated players in Diane Matheson uh, with a fantastic cross and a great run uh, by uh, Gunny Jones' daughter uh, to get on the end of it and uh, score three minutes into the game. It was, um, you know, both center backs kind of got pulled to the left. Uh, You can sort of forgive Shalina Zadorsky since she was playing on the left for being too far that mm-hmm. direction. Uh, but also uh, Allie Krieger kind of wandered a little too far to her left as well. And that left a pretty big gap in the defense. And, um, you know, John's daughter made a, a run, made eye contact with uh, Matheson, made the run. Um, 
Danny Weatherholt, uh, to her credit, you know, saw the danger, but uh, not quite uh, in time to get on the right side of the player to uh, to prevent a, a good chance. And, and really, uh, just a tremendous effort by uh, the Icelandic international to uh, to get on the end of that cross uh, perfectly and volley it into the net. Uh, nothing Ashlyn Harris could do, so it was 1-0. So right off the bat, you're behind. Um, the Pride really were having trouble breaking down Utah. That's going to be a theme this year for teams because if you recall, FC Kansas City was a very good defensive team. They now have a, mm-hmm. uh, a younger, more athletic goalkeeper behind them. And in Abby Smith. And uh, so they're going to be defensively very sound. They came in with a good sound game plan that they're going to stay organized behind the ball, not give up opportunities to Marta and Alex Morgan and Sidney LaRue. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it worked. I mean, they, they kind of overwhelmed uh, Orlando pride in the midfield. Uh, Tony Presley was playing a, a holding midfield role. Um, Christine Nairn was playing her first game with the team and Danny Weatherholt was doing her thing, but really amongst those three, you don't have a dynamic um, playmaker, a, a person that can uh, dribble out of traffic and make precise passes you know, when we see Marta play that central midfield role, which is what I was kind of hoping we would see, um, you know, you, you, you have a much different, um, you, you know, the other team has to respect Marta and, and maybe commit too many numbers to one area. And it kind of, of opens things up around the pitch for other players. Uh, but I thought uh, that was missing. And Marta had to drop from the forward line back into the midfield to uh, get on the ball. And that kind of left the, the, the forward line outnumbered up top. And uh, Morgan and and um, um, Sidney LaRue were trying their best to do what they could. They, there were some opportunities. Uh, a nice uh, flicked on header from LaRue sent Morgan in. Um, didn't have a great angle to shoot from. Uh, didn't get all of the shot, but she did force a, a diving save from Smith. Uh, it looked like Morgan, you know, through the first half started to get some chances and come into the game. And, um, and then, of course, uh, she had to collision with Abby Smith in a, in a really unfortunate play. Ball over the top. Morgan's well offside, a good five yards offside. And uh, the flag went up immediately. But uh, referee Danielle Chesky did not blow the whistle right away. And uh, as a mm-hmm. result, uh, Smith came off her line, knew she had to get to the ball, and got there just at the same time as Morgan. And they collided. And, and uh, Alex Morgan, right before half, was off with uh, going through concussion protocol like Jonathan Spector. So, um not the start that the pride wanted at all. No. And, you know, Smith's, uh, you know, took the, her head, uh, her forehead, uh, hit the side of Alex's head. And so of course, uh, for those of you who study anatomy, you know that that forehead part's a lot tougher than the rest of the skull. Um, and so, uh, that's why Alex got, uh, the worst of it. Uh, and that, um, fortunately what we did see there was, um, uh, it was right at the, right at the end of the half. It was actually in, in stoppage time at the end of the half, and uh, Alex came off, did not come back. Uh, obviously, you know, I don't know if it was a lesson learned from you know what happened to Spectre, or if you know they were just uh, being more cautious or or whatever. Regardless, it was the right thing to do, and uh, fortunately, Alex is day to day, so um, it may not have been as bad as. Uh, the one that that Jonathan got. Yeah, I mean, certainly, I I, I didn't ask Tom at the uh, in the post game if that was uh, weighed into his decision, but um, you know, I'm assuming because they had uh, access to their own doctors, being a home game, um, they probably got the you know the advice. The yeah, she should probably come off and uh, 
you know they they listen to their doctors which is good that's they should do that that's why they have doctors um but the the teams went especially for a team with orlando health on the jersey right. the team went to the locker room tied though because uh marta equalized in the first half and this was uh a, a from the from the penalty spot a very controversial play in the game uh, i think um one of the things that gets lost in the controversy of whether or not it should have been a penalty was the a really gorgeous cross that uh, Carson Pickett sent in to uh, Danny Weatherholt, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, give Weatherholt credit again. She she came uh, roaring up from her midfield position, not, you know, not generally an attacking type player or attack minded player. But in this situation, she saw an opportunity to make a run and uh, Pickett uh, picked her out with a great pass and she got there. And uh, she fired, and uh, right in front of her was Becky Sauerbrunn. And, and I have to admit, I have still not seen uh, – I, I haven't gone back and watched replays of the game. We were at the game, so it was very difficult to tell what happened. This was not a TV game. It was a Go90 streamed game. Yep. So l- looking at it live from our angle from the press box, it, you could definitely see uh, Becky's arms were out, away from her body. It looked to me on in live action – of course, I was – a long way away because it was down at the other end of the field from the press box. It looked like it, it may have come off her arm and hit her in the face. It, we could definitely tell it hit her in the face. You could tell that by the way she reacted right away. But, um, uh, you know, people on uh, Twitter said that it never hit her arm. We've, um, we watched the replay available in the stadium, which wasn't conclusive. Um, and it was only one angle. So it, it definitely looked from that angle like it may have, uh, you know, taken a quick deflection off her arm and into her face. But it, again, I only saw it one time on a replay, never had a chance to pause and rewind or any of that stuff. Cause it was just on our, our monitors in the press box and I couldn't tell. So, uh, going by what a lot of people think then it probably wasn't a handball. Uh, I have to say there's, you know, there's certainly some controversy there. Also, we heard from some photographers that were downstairs that said it definitely hit her arm. So uh, <laughs> it's it's like, what do you do? You know, I, uh, you know, Chesky had a much better view of it than I did. Uh, she said she saw it hit the arm and she called it intentional. So um, then the only real reason is uh, uh, or the real thing that you need to ask is, uh, you know, you know, how did she say that if it didn't hit her arm? I, I don't know. But again, again, the only thing that I saw wasn't conclusive. But other people are saying it was conclusively not a handball. But anyway, you look at it, Dave. Orlando Pride conceded seven penalties last year. Not all of those were penalties. Not all nope. actual penalty-worthy uh, plays. So these things do sometimes come back around in your favor. And then on this occasion, it did. And, um, you know, in the... In the judgment of ball don't lie, and the, the universal law of ball don't lie, Marta scored, so it must have been a penalty. Yeah, obviously, it was a penalty <laughs> because that that one might be a little bit unfair. Uh, Marta's very good at, at doing what she does, so uh, the odds may have been slightly tilted in her favor uh, as far as making a penalty shot. But yeah. regardless, um, you know there was no doubt who was going to be taking that. Uh, she stepped up, does what she does. Most of the time, which is very calmly put the ball into the back of the net. Um, Pride go, you know, draw even. And uh, and it was the the Carson Pickett cross. I'm glad you brought that up. Because uh, when we talked to her last week, one of the things that she said that she wanted to improve in her game was exactly that. Mm-hmm. Get more crosses. And so it was... 
Yep, and so it was really nice that uh, she was able to to get that one in there, and, and hopefully uh, um, that will give her you know more confidence going forward. Um, you know, since we did talk to her, uh, I don't know you know if everybody else was you know who, who was watching who, but uh, I was certainly paying a bit of attention to to Pickett and how she played, and I, I thought she had a uh, a pretty good game, especially um, getting up the field. She she tries and hustles so much. Um, and I, I think, uh, I think she had a good game. Um, and that, uh, that cross was obviously one of the, uh, the better points for her. Yeah. And then, like you said, Danny getting in there and, uh, you know, making that run. I, I, overall, I thought that, um, the team played well other than that one breakdown on the other goal. Mm -hmm. Um, especially, you know, for, first match of the season like you said not everybody hadn't played together yet uh people coming off of international duty etc so it was overall i think it was a a good result and i uh, um yeah i i think that what you saw is a team with a ton of potential and i look forward to Alex getting back at whatever point she does and seeing what this all looks like. Now I know we're going to have some people out here soon because back on international duty again, mm -hmm. but, yep. uh, but uh, think of that. We haven't even, we still haven't even had the Aussies. That's true. That's so, right. It's, it's really, um, you know, just to, to tidy up the game, nobody scored in the second half, obviously, um, or, you know, Orlando pride had uh, a few good chances early in the half, uh, couldn't break them down. And later, as it got later and later in the game, Utah started to pack, uh, park the bus a little bit and accept that they wanted to get out of there with a point. And they did that. They got, they got one last, uh, one good opportunity in the second half where John's daughter, uh, fired one over the bar. Um, but really, uh, was the pride with the better chances that, the, but they kind of made a mess of them. There were, there were some, some breakdowns in the final third. There was an early, uh, ball, uh, Chioma Ubogagu came on at the half for Morgan. Uh, and I, I thought she had kind of a rough game from a passing perspective for, uh, for much of the second half, but one mm -hmm. of her first touches was a, was an inch perfect pass to send LaRue in and, uh, Sydney took one touch too many and even admitted that after the game and the, and, and the, that one touch was a heavy touch and it allowed Smith to collect the ball. Didn't even get a shot option. She admitted after the game, she should have just, uh, taken a shot with her left instead of trying to set that up perfectly for herself. So, um, you know, so another learning experience. One of the things I really liked about LaRue was watching her hustle, her, her determination is, is going to be a good thing and an infectious thing for this team. Um, there were mm -hmm. a couple opportunities where she nearly blocked Abby Smith from getting a kick away. Um, you know, on a pass back to her, she, she came within just a couple inches of, of knocking one of those back into the net. So uh, yeah, she is, she is playing with, a, she is on a mission. That is obvious. Yeah, she, she looked good and, and, uh, you know, she did have some, some, you know, sharpness issues in the final third, but everybody did. And, uh, I think that that will eventually, um, you know, subside once this team is, is fully, uh, integrated and fit. And of course, you know, now you lose the Brazilians till the end of April, the Aussies are still out till the end of April. And, uh, so it's going to be, you know, whatever hands are left on deck for the, for the f next few games. But that's just, that's what you do when, when you, when you get these good players and these international players, you have to live with stuff like that, especially in a world cup qualifying year. So, um, you know, Tom Sermani knew what he had going in. He knew what the situation was. I talked to him on Friday, very candid talk I had with him. And he said, you know, I don't even know if our, you know, how our team is 
match fitness because we just got the internationals back. I don't know if they can go 90. And it, it definitely uh, the one that stuck out stuck out to me is Poliana. She could not go 90. She was really winded. Right. Um, you know, she did some good things, but I, I think she's got a lot more she can show uh, and has shown with her time in the Houston, with the Houston Dash. Um, but she was she was fairly impressive dribbling uh, and passing. Uh, she did to get herself in trouble a few times by trying to do too much. And uh, I think that that will self-correct as, as we go on. I thought uh, you look at the new players. I thought Zadorsky did fine. She was one of the best players on the field. Um, Carson Pickett was one of the better players on the field that night. She did uh, have the, the uh, you know, she did not close down Matheson on the cross. So she will be unhappy with herself for that. But, um, you know, there overall, I thought, you know, we I expected a sloppy game, a sloppy low scoring game and against a team that's good defensively, like like Utah is and, and was in Kansas City last year. That's sometimes means, uh, you know, you have to play perfect defense and they they made really one one mistake and paid for it. And uh, the rest of the game, they they pretty much had control of it possession wise and outpassed yep. them and stuff. And they just didn't have any sharpness in the final third. So it, it's a good thing going forward that they can work on. And I think they'll get better as they go, but it's certainly going to be a lot more difficult without Marta on the pitch. Uh, that brings me to our player of the match. And for my money, didn't get any better than Marta. Uh, she was, um, she was all over the field. She was dropping to get the ball. She was uh, doing whatever she could to to try to jumpstart the offense. Of course, you know when somebody has to come back and get out of position like that, and we saw it with uh, uh, we we saw that a little bit with Justin Miram in the opener when uh, when he had to drop deeper to get the ball, and we saw a little bit of it against uh, Minnesota as well. Uh, sometimes that that gets you out of shape and and kind of hurts uh, the overall flow a little bit, but. She was fighting through obvious fouls, uh, not going down. That's one thing that you you see in the NWSL that you don't see in men's soccer very much is a player just oh very much so, fighting yeah. off those grabs and those kicks to the shin and those trips and those you know the little pulls on the shirt and stuff, just fighting that off and trying to get around that player. And you saw Marta and, and Kelly O'Hara have just a a wonderful battle all night and, and it really was fun to watch those two go at it. And, and I, I thought for my money, Marta looked like the best player on the pitch. Although again, those others that I mentioned, Zadorsky and Pickett um, and, and even LaRue, despite, you know, the, the, the errors in the final third, she was the most dangerous attacking player. Uh, I thought those guys, uh, those ladies all had really good games. I completely agree. And uh, I was going back and forth in my head between uh, Marta and Sid and um, it, it ended up being Marta for my player of the match just because of a lot of the things you said. Um, of course, you know, she did stick the penalty kick, but um, right. more, more importantly, uh, if, if you watch the match and, and you watch, she does all these little things that makes other players look a little bit silly sometimes. <laughs> um, it, it's, because I, I actually commented on, you know, I had people watching the game with me. I actually commented. I was like, did you just see that? You know, you know, making, you know, she'll nutmeg somebody or just, you know, not even. And it doesn't even look like she's doing anything, but she's so good with the ball at her feet that somebody can be right on top of her and they can't seem to do anything about it. Mm -hmm. So it's and it's it's hard to or it can be easy to miss if if you're not paying attention or you're, you're you know, not looking at her feet. Um, 
but it's uh, it it's really impressive. And and I agree, she was uh, the best player on the on the pitch that night. And um, yeah, she uh, and she's a leader out there as well. Yeah. So I, I, I you know I think uh, definitely player of the match for me. And and uh, we're definitely going to miss her yeah. <laughs> these next couple games for sure. Marta, yeah, the thing for me that Marta does that that really um, is underappreciated is the when the ball's pinging around in the midfield and it looks like things are getting a little dicey and maybe there's going to be a counterattack, if she comes in, she just calms everything down with just one move or one pass. She can take the pressure off of everyone and slow the game down. And, um, you know, and all of a sudden all this, this frantic play where you're trying, you're just, you seem to be about only a half a step ahead. And it looks like the, you know, any, any miscalculation of the weight of the pass or the direction of the pass is going to result in a, a terrible turnover. She comes in and gets involved, takes the ball. And then all of a sudden there's all this space. And, uh, and yep. that's because she, she draws in the defenders. She finds the, the exact right place to go with the ball. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a big clump of players in the middle and she's got the ball out to the left on Carson Pickett's foot. In, and in of course, if you, pace. And if you, but as the opposition, if you don't do that to her, she's simply just going to run past you. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a uh, darned if you do, darned if you don't. So, uh, you know, what do you what are you going to do as the opposition? Well, you, you've got to try something. Yep, it's a catch twenty two. So, one um, one, a point for the pride. They are, uh, I think they're in fourth or. Uh, whatever uh, after one week and uh, you know that oh no fourth the, oh my gosh the, the, <laughs> time to run off a cliff the next uh, the next challenge comes uh, Saturday afternoon against the Washington Spirit it's a, a nationally televised uh, match on Lifetime uh, pregame starts at 3:30 so right about the time the Orlando City game ends you've got a half an hour to get in front of a TV actually a little more than that because the game will probably kick off about 10 till I think uh, so you got about 50 minutes to get in front of a TV to see the Pride. Uh, after Orlando City plays on Saturday. They'll be playing the Washington Spirit, so it's a little bit of a homecoming for Shalina Zadorsky, for, um, you know, Krieger and Harris. They've played there before, so it's, uh, you know, uh, these teams know each other very well. It's a very improved Washington Spirit team uh, coming into this year, so it'll be interesting to watch. But, um, again, with these uh, Australians still out, uh, they really missed Emily Van Eggman, by the way, this week. Um, oh, yeah. and, and, and Alana Kennedy, you could probably say. And uh, and the Brazilians, which are Pollyanna and Marta and Monica all being out, it, it's going to be um, like a thin bench for Tom Sermani. And I wouldn't be surprised if the, sometime this week he uh, signs another international replacement player or two uh, to maybe mm-hmm. have some more bodies to take with him. Um, but uh, I would look for, you know... Um, Krieger to play center uh, center back with um, Zdorsky and then maybe putting uh, Kristen Edmonds at right back. Uh, the new uh, Swedish player, Lada Ukvist, uh, only trained on Friday for the first time, and she was in the 18 on Saturday. Uh, I don't know. She's left-footed just like Carson Pickett, so I don't know if either of those, uh, if Tom would consider putting either of them on the right uh, for a game or two, but Kristen Edmonds has played right back. Of course, Krieger can play right back. He can put Presley at center back. Um, so there's a lot of options, a lot of things he can do. The, the, the key thing for me is, is Morgan going to be able to play? If Morgan can't play, then the, that, that almost certainly means that Rachel Hill is going to get a start, which I would have liked to have seen uh, in the opener anyway. Right. And that's uh that is going to be the big thing 
in this match is, uh, like I said, there's there's plenty of, well, not plenty, but there's there's more options in the defense than there is in the offense. Um, so now I say that, but you know, you have G, you have Rachel Hill, you've got Sydney LaRue. If Alex is there and she's healthy, you've got her. It's it's not like it's the cupboard is completely bare, but um, you know, we're also second match in how fit is everybody? How long can they go? Um, I, I anticipate that uh, once again, LaRue will start. Uh, but I also think that we're going to see Hill get her first start as well. Uh, we'll see ha- what happens in week two of the Orlando Pride season. Uh, hopefully they'll go to Washington and come back with three points. Um, speaking of three points, uh, you don't really get points for friendlies, but the U.S. men's national team went and got themselves a win on uh, Tuesday night against Paraguay in Cary, North Carolina. It was a very um, young team for both squads, both squads looking at younger rosters. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I was very intrigued when I saw the starting lineup and we, we got a, a center back pairing of, uh, you know, Miazga and Carter Vickers, which a lot of people have been wanting to see that for a while. Um, you know, Viafania and Yedlin, a little bit more experience on at the fullback positions. Uh, Stefan in goal, you know, you were you're good there when you have a you know your young player is Stefan. You know, when you're, when you're <laughs> right. youth, you know, when you're when you're going with your untested international and it's uh, Zach Stefan quality, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. Will Trap uh, captained the team and he played in the uh, sort of an. Uh, shield position in front of the back four. And then you had uh, uh, a midfield that had uh, uh, Kenny Seff and uh, Darlington Nagby, Tyler Adams um, and Marky Delgado, and then Bobby Wood up top. And it was a very intriguing lineup for a lot of reasons, but uh, then you go out and you play the game and, you know, very high pressing uh, sort of, uh, you know, game plan. They, they kept Paraguay, pinned in most of the night in their own half, a lot of possession, mm-hmm. not a lot of great clear cut scoring chances, but I was very impressed with the play of the midfield in particular, Will Trapp and Tyler Adams and a little bit lesser extent, uh, Nagby and Seth and, and Delgado all played very well. I thought the midfield of the U S really was the key to that game. I think, um, Bobby Wood had a very tough game in a lot of respects, even though he ultimately scored a goal from the penalty spot that won the game. But, um, you know, overall, very uh, a very good outing for a lot of young kids that uh, are going to be around for quite a while and, and may be part of this next World Cup cycle for the U.S. Uh, especially thought that Will Trapp bossed the game from where he, he was. He, uh, he he made a key block on a Miguel Almiron chance uh, after a, a turnover in the defensive end between Stefan and Miazga. But, um, you know, I didn't think Paraguay had a lot of really good dangerous opportunities. So the center backs really, I kind of had a hard time judging how they did because they weren't really tested a whole lot. Um, I thought the fullbacks played mostly very well. Yedlin must have ran about 17 miles in that game because uh, <laughs> he was getting all the way forward to the end line and then having to track all the way back to the, uh, to his own end line. Um, and just really was fun to watch that game. And Tyler Adams, is really he scares the hell out of me for this weekend because he really looks like he's coming into his own. Yeah, it was uh, so it was like you said it was a fun match to watch. Uh, average age under 24 of all the guys that were out there. Will Trap I thought did a fantastic job with the captain's armband. He um uh he he directed 
uh, everything, like you said, he was heavily involved in keeping Almiron from making a big impact in that game. And we all know how dangerous Almiron is. So the, the fact that they were able to do that and, and do that while, while pressing high, um, they, it was, what you saw there was a young group of guys that have been given free reign and told, look, just go out and have fun play. You know, there's, there's, it's a, despite being a friendly, there's nothing else. There's nothing on them right now. Everything is on all the guys that, that aren't there that are probably will no longer see uh, the field for the U S men's national team. It's, it's a fresh start. And so they get to go out and just be themselves. And if, if, are they ready to take on, you know, the, the top in the world right now? No, of course not. But, you know, we're talking about these guys are going to have four years before it becomes, you know, or, well, three years anyway, before it starts becoming pressing that they've got to be stepping up. That's a long time for these guys to uh, play together. And, you know, we didn't even have everybody. You know, Christian stayed with Dortmund. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got guys like, you know, Dom that could get called up. You know, there's plenty of players that weren't there you saw the new faces of the u.s men's national team that night and it i, I gotta tell you will trap just absolutely uh impressed the heck out of me like you said with uh how he led that team yeah and you don't normally notice a, a defensive midfielder unless it's a bad thing but you really you really noticed will trap in that game because he was he was put on an island a lot of times because paraguay's uh, whole thing was they were they were going to try to counter and try to hit with speed and every time they tried to break out uh will trap was you know basically shepherding every everything one direction or the other and keeping everything wide and and really doing a great job and owning the middle of the park uh for the u.s i thought he was he he put on a master class i thought tyler adams put on a master class and i I tell you that pass that marky delgado uh made to spring uh tyler adams to draw the penalty was you could not pass a ball better than that. I mean, that was like r- just a ridiculous pass. It was a thoroughly enjoyable match to watch. Yeah. Every, every piece of it. I mean, it was because you, you go into it knowing it. Okay. This is all the young guys. Now, granted Paraguay had their young guys out there too. Um, but it, at no point, uh, did it look like the, the U S was not in control of that match? Yeah, it really, Unlucky to not get a second, especially late uh, when Novakovic got a chance. Uh, we saw some younger players, uh, some uncapped players come on, uh, Tim Weah and um, uh, uh, Rubio Rubin, who's had a couple of caps, he came on. And, and even those guys looked good coming on and, and helping out late. And, you know, the future is bright for this team. You still, I mean, Andrew Carlton, I don't even think, got called up for this time. And he's going to be a player to watch in the future. And, and um, you know, of course, uh, Sargent. There's a lot of young players that are coming up, but we didn't get to see uh, Weston McKinney uh, play. So, I mean, there's just a tremendous youth movement for this team, and we're going to have to live with some growing pains. Uh, but I think that this is a group that can really come together and lead this team uh, into the next World Cup cycle. Well, and how about Tim Weah? Some of the moves uh, that he made and just took the ball off of the guy's foot that one time that that uh, near the end where he get, then gets down the field and it was one of the chances that he had to try and get that second goal. It was, uh, you know, you watch that when you're like, oh, whoa, right, this is the youth movement and I'm liking it because if 
and and the the kid's eighteen. Yeah. You know, so uh, if if he's like that at eighteen, and, and we don't mess him up, man, uh, you're right. The future is indeed bright. First player to uh, get a cap that was born in the two thousands. So. <laughs> <laughs> As if we didn't feel old That's enough right. already. That's right. Well, uh, they are a developing team. And speaking of uh, development, we've got a, a guest that knows a little bit something about player development. Let's get to our special guest right after this. Okay, joining us on the Mainland Podcast this week, we're happy to have with us Paul Shaw. He does the uh, the TV uh, color analyst uh, position for Orlando City uh, televised uh, games and uh, for the local TV 27 broadcasts. Also involved heavily with the uh, Orlando City youth uh, system. Uh, Paul, thanks for being on the podcast. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. Well, I want to start out by asking you about uh, basically just the season so far. I mean, you, you obviously get to see all the games. You uh, you know you know the the players well. You know the coaching staff well. Um, you know, clearly um, people that are more involved on a day-to-day basis don't uh, panic quite so quickly as the fans do, um, especially on social media. But uh, what have you seen yeah. uh, so far from this team uh, in uh, 2018? I think I think it's, it's going to be very exciting. I think the season will be a, a very good season. I think the, the one tough part for, for everybody, I think, in preseason was that they – they collected, obviously, a lot of very good players and um, built a very good roster. But unfortunately, a lot of those players came in late in pre-season. You know, some of them obviously came in with, with injuries. Um, so, one, it was difficult to get them all together. Then it's difficult to get them out on the field and get them to get them integrated. And I think that was the tough part for the coaching staff. Obviously, they've they've had a few games now. They've gradually started to get players back fit or back, back into the team and... Uh, you know, I think it is a little bit of a process. I don't think I don't think anybody is is other than disappointed with the start. I think everybody would have expected to pick up a few more points than they've had. But uh, you know, I think everybody knows that. You know, obviously last year was a was an outstanding start for the team. The, the team started extremely well, and uh, but I don't think the coaching staff were getting overexcited then, and I don't think they're going to be, you know, overly concerned now. Of course, everybody wants more points than than they've had at the moment, but. Uh, I think there's, there's a lot of good players there. There's a lot of experienced players, experienced in the league. The coaching staff have obviously been, been around for a long, long time. So, of course, everyone wants to pick up more points than they've got at the moment. But I think that will come. And I think the more, obviously, players get, get fit, they start playing with each other a little bit more, then, then I think things will improve for, for everybody. But, uh, you know, I can understand everybody's concerns. You know, the end of last season didn't finish too well. Brought in a lot of good players and... Things haven't started as, as they would have liked, but uh, you know I think the results will come. You know it's, it just need everybody to stay patient, and all it needs is a well one result, one good win, and uh, I think things will will start to roll from there. Well, of course, it doesn't get any uh, easier this week. Um, of course, Justin Merriman and Yoshimaru Toon uh, both out on international duty. Uh, Jonathan Spector still out on concussion protocol. Um, we do get some back, um, but. Uh, y- you know, it, it's kind of the a new week, same thing. Um, how far into the uh, future do you think the fans are going to have to wait to, to see everything come together? Well, I think I think as the season rolls on, you, you're still going to have players, you know, players will pick up injuries, things will happen. Obviously, what, what 
what happened with Jonathan Spector last weekend. That that will happen, and people are going to still pick up knocks. But um, you know, I think it's things will start to roll. You know, I'm sure. You know, I, I, I don't think it'll be too long. Of course, that the, the games that are coming up are not easy as well. You know, and obviously, like you said, starting with this weekend, it's a it's a tough, tough game against a very good Red Bulls team. But uh, I think it's just a case, a little bit of confidence, everybody to to get a win. It doesn't matter how that first win comes. I just think everybody wants that win and then it can settle everybody down. And, uh, you know, hopefully, obviously, you don't want it to, everybody to wait too long for, for that first three points and, and then everybody can start start to enjoy the season. I think that will happen. Now, Paul, one of the things we hear a lot from fans and, and from our readers is that, um, you know, people seem to be... They seem bothered by the shape that the team takes when they take the field, the the infamous diamond, and uh, they, they seem a little bit bent out of shape that Miram's playing as a, as a forward, although he has a history of playing forward, and they think he should be playing in a different place and the team should have a different shape. What are your thoughts on the personnel that, that Jason Christ has and uh, the way he's using them? Uh, do you think that this personnel fits that uh, that style? No, I think I think everybody has an opinion. There, there's no doubt, and, and you know, it, it's whenever you're a coach, you're a spectator, you always have an opinion on the team and and the, and the shape of a team. And I think the one thing that Jason Christ has always done, he's always he's always played this diamond. He's always been confident playing the diamond. And I think this summer he seems to have brought players in specifically to to play that shape. Now, I think in any league, it doesn't matter where you are, you've got to be you, you've got to be ready to adapt. And um, mm-hmm. I think that's something that I think the supporters maybe, rather than the one in a change in shape, I, I just think at times you have to be able to adapt. So at times you may need to play a different shape. And, um, you know, that's something that I think he, he will do. Jason Christ will do as the season goes on. He definitely um, did that a little bit in preseason. They did play a, a different shape. So I think he's definitely got the players to, to, to do that, to play, um, you know, in different formations, in different games. Um, but I don't think that, that anybody should expect anything different than if things are all, everybody's all available, he will play a diamond. And, uh, and I think he'll, he'll stick to that. He's very comfortable doing that. He, him and his coaching staff are very comfortable, obviously, coaching that. Um, but I do think as the season wears on, you know, and, and things do happen, you do need to be adaptable and play, and play different shapes. And, and he will have to do that, I'm sure, as the season goes on. But I understand what the supporters are saying. You know, of course, when... When you play a certain shape and you and you don't win games, people are going to question that. They are going to wonder, you know, should we play, be playing a, a different shape? And should, we do have players that can play, like you said, Justin Miram can play wide. He played wide for an awful long time in, in Columbus, and and it was it was obviously very successful doing that. So, you know, I think you know you do have options with the group, the group they have now, and um, I think as the season wears on, we will see them play in a different shape. But I do think that Jason Christ will stick to to what he knows and what he's comfortable playing. Now, you mentioned that uh, there were a bunch of new additions to the club this year. Is there any player that, or players that have stood out to you, um, you know, as this new team has come together? Yeah, I think um, Amo Tarek is one player that I think has, has come in and, and been extremely comfortable in the, in the way he's played. Um, he's looked very confident. Obviously, being a, a left-sided centre-back is really helps the balance of a team, especially when you want to keep the ball and you want to move the ball across across the back four. Um, he's done that. He's defended very well. And I think he's just one that's, that's come into the group and, and looked, um, looked very comfortable. 
Obviously, Mohamed Al-Manir is another one as well that I think, again, has come in and, and brought in a pace and athleticism um, you know, to, to the left-back position that maybe there the, the, the wasn't there before. Um, so I think those two players have really stood out in the, in the first few games. Obviously, it's still early uh, early days. Um, but I think we'll see more and more, you know, once Sane gets fit and obviously plays a run of games, I think we'll see a very, very strong centre-back there that, that will play an awful lot of games this season. So, And then obviously, I think um, Russell, once he, he gets into the team, I think he will be a, a, a major game changer for the team. I think once he gets in the team, he's, he's a player that's played at a very good level. He knows the league. He's very comfortable with the ball. And, 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 and I think once he gets into the team, then I think uh, things will settle down a little bit. Unfortunately, he's still obviously injured, but uh, he'll be a, be a player, player that makes a difference. So I'm sure he will. Yeah, that's I think a big sense of frustration is that uh, everybody knows that what this guy can do and that he's he's like almost tailor made to to play the base of that diamond for Jason Christ and then you can't get him on the field and it's a little bit frustrating here early in the season but it's a long season it's a marathon not a sprint uh, Paul what I want to ask you about is, is you know your approach to broadcasting how did you get into broadcasting how 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 do you feel now that you've been doing it for a while and and what are you uh, how do you sort of approach the job I think it's one of I did I did a little bit when I was in the UK I did a little bit of radio um, there which I enjoyed obviously you know I I, I love watching the game analyzing the game and, and obviously being part of it so you know I enjoy that part of it and um, you know I think it was just one of the I got asked to, to do it a little bit here um, a couple of years ago, you know, I, I didn't, I couldn't quite do it at the time. I was a, a little bit too busy, but um, you know, managed to do a little bit more of it last year and uh, and just enjoyed it. You know, I just enjoy watching the games, trying to analyse the games, trying to to break down certain formations and the way teams play, and uh, that's that's the way I look at it, and that's the way I think, uh, you know, I think the, the the guys want me to approach the job and um you know i just enjoy that part of it and i think it's it's very interesting to watch especially in the mls i think you you have such a it's such a unique league here with the the travel that everybody has to go through and um the 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 different games different systems obviously players come from all over the world now to play here so i think it's such an interesting league now to to watch and I'm unfortunate obviously I can, I can watch an awful lot of games and, and obviously commentate on those games and um, you know I, I just enjoy that part of it I enjoy watching the games and, uh, and being around it and I think it's such a growing league that uh, it's good to be part of it as much as possible you know well now in that position obviously like you say you get to, to see plenty of games um, is there anything in particular that, that you're you have the opportunity to observe or, uh, you know, in that position that maybe those of us watching from home or in the stands, you know, don't really get to experience or feel. I think, I think just watching, watching the games and, and just even in the, in the last couple of years, just watching the, the league more closely. I, I think there's a different type of player that, um, that the clubs are really going for the more technical, I think, um, quicker, younger midfield players i think the, the league are definitely bringing in more and more of now and i think that's adding to the excitement of the league and i think you, you're never going to take away the experienced player the player that's played in in south america or played in europe and obviously you know we're bringing in you know players like ibrahimovic to to la now is just it's just fantastic for the league 
but I, I do I do see a change in in the way that, that clubs recruit now um, in, in this country, and I think it's it's really exciting and being able to, att- to attract the Almorons and, and even even the Coleman that's uh, that's come to Orlando City attract those players, those exciting players that are gonna that are gonna get on the ball that, that want to be dynamic. I think that's the major change that I've seen in the league, and I think the league will only get stronger through it. One of the challenges to uh, to broadcasting soccer that I, I haven't come across in a lot of other sports is that a lot of times you guys are on, uh, you, you know, you're having to watch the game on a video feed and call it remotely. Uh, what are the challenges that you have encountered doing that, and and, and what other challenges have has uh, you know have you come across in, in broadcasting? Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I think it's it's when you're at the stadium when we when we do the games at the stadium and um, you're there really you you can soak up the atmosphere you really feel part of it um, you know whether that game is a is a is a high level game or not I think it's very easy not I wouldn't say easy it's more comfortable to to commentate on those games when you are in a studio and like you said you are watching the game on a monitor it's hard to really feel part of it I think that's the one part that that has been a challenge um, that I find is it's hard to really gauge the the, the atmosphere that's around, um, how the game is, um, you know, how the game is going, and to really get in, into those games. And that's where those games are slightly more different and slightly more difficult because, you know, when we have our home games and we have the the the, the atmosphere that we do at Orlando City Stadium. It's it's really enjoyable, you know. Of, of course, that's an, that's an enjoyable atmosphere, and that's something that you can get caught up in, and you and you can commentate on those games very comfortably. But uh, the, the games when you're away and, and and you know the team is away and you're in a you're in a studio is uh, is very very different. But uh, it's part of it, you know. It's it's a challenge that you have to go through. But um, you know, it's just uh, it's just different, very different from from home games to away games. Uh, of course, you've been player, coach, director, uh, analyst. Uh, you've you've done just about everything there is to do in in regards to to covering or or uh, being involved in soccer. Um, what parts of your earlier career um, help you out in your current positions? I, I think I think just being around good people. I, I was very lucky when I played. Um, to play under obviously some some good managers, some obviously like in Arsene Wenger, everybody knows. But there was many other there was many other managers, coaches that I was I, I played a, uh, under that had a real good effect on me. And and one thing that I I always realised and, and and I was lucky enough to to be part of is the coaches that really put the players first. You know you know and and what what they needed and you know wanted to develop those players excuse me and and that was something that i that i really took from an awful lot of coaches that um that obviously coached me that that they would put the players first it wouldn't be a case of of course you know when i played and you know when you're playing at a professional level you it's results driven you know everybody wants to win and that and that was really important and that and that's how people keep their jobs but the best coaches still put the players first and still would take that time to spend that time with the players talking to them or just coaching them, spending an extra 10 minutes on the training field. And that was something that really made a difference to me 
the, the players that, that, that I'm with now, obviously all the youth players that I'm with now, I think it's so important that when you're coaching these young players that you put the players first. And, you know, we all, as soon as we go over that high line, we want to win games. There's no doubt, you know, everybody has that competitive spirit. But I think if as long as you as a coach put the players first and what they need um, as the, the biggest priority, then I think we have a good opportunity to develop players. And that was some, something that I, I really took from my career, those coaches that would go that extra mile to look after the players um, rather than just be focused on winning a game and doing this because it's good for them um, is, is something that, that I really took. And, um, you know, as I said, you know, I, I, I was very lucky. You know, some of the coaches that, that I played under were, you know, as I said, some of the ones that, that everybody knows about. But, you know, it wasn't just those. There was a lot of younger coaches, and especially when I was a teenager, that, that had a big effect on me. And, and that's and that, that's why I'm in the role I'm in, I think, because I enjoy being around young players and I enjoy developing them because I was very lucky. I was I was with some very good coaches myself, you know, as a player. So, Well, speaking of developing uh, players, uh, before we let you get out of here, I wanted to touch base on your position with Orlando City uh, Youth Soccer. And could you maybe, uh, you know, a lot of our, our listeners know you from the TV broadcast, but maybe don't know what you do, uh, you know, elsewhere for Orlando City. Can you maybe describe your role a little bit? Yeah, I'm a technical director with Orlando City Youth Soccer, which is an affiliate of Orlando City, the, the, the obviously the MLS club. And, um, you know, what we do is we, we bring in players and, and, and really we have a, a, we're bringing those young players to hopefully boys and girls to, to get them to play in college. Um, and that's our end goal. Of course, we will develop some players to, to go on and play in our development academy on the boys' side. And, uh, and, and that's something that we want to always try and do is promote those young players. But um, that's my role at the moment, overseeing the boys and girls there. Um, but one thing that I, is really important to me is developing coaches as well as in, my, in my role. And we, we, we're very lucky um, with Orlando City Youth Soccer that we have some, some really good coaches. You know, at the moment, we have some, some coaches that have played with with the with Orlando City and played with the Pride, we have Sarah Hagen that played with the Pride. We have Seb Hines, Jordani Alvarez, uh, John Jacks Pitiello that have all played with Orlando City's first team, um, and they're all young coaches, but they all want to learn, and that's part of my role as well is is developing young coaches. We've been extremely lucky over the last couple of years to have Anthony Pulis coach with us. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember. Around about three, four years ago, he came to me while he was still playing and said, and asked if he, if we had a team that he could coach. At that point, we had like a third, an under 14 third team, if I remember rightly. And then, and he took that team. He gave it probably as much thought as he does now, you know, while he's coaching professionally and and really wanted to learn. And I think I think that's really important for all young coaches. You know, for somebody like Anthony, we had Mark Lowry, who's now head coach at Jacksonville Armada. You know, these guys have got the opportunity and girls have got the opportunity to coach and you're not in a win-lose environment, you know, and that's what's good. You can make your mistakes if you like. You can come in, you can coach, you can develop young players. But, you know, the biggest thing for, for me is that they develop young players rather than win 10 games out of 12. That, that's not what's important. And so these coaches can come in and they can really experiment and, and make their mistakes without going straight into a professional environment. And... You know, it makes me really proud when you see an Anthony, you know, building his career coaching. 
you see a Mark Lowry at Jacksonville, and 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 obviously we've had James O'Connor has been obviously obviously played, and you know, and 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 Darren Powell that was at, with Orlando City, and now at San Antonio. So we've had many coaches around. So it's not just my role is not not just developing players, which is obviously extremely important, but developing young coaches and then giving them that pathway to to go on and um, have successful careers, hopefully. So. You know, it's it's really important. It's something I enjoy. I enjoy being around the young boys and girls, and uh, you know, just trying to develop them and give them the, the right opportunity to to move on and and, and love the game. You know, and and uh, and I think we do a good job doing that. You know, absolutely. Uh, final question before we let you go: What do you make of the decision to roll the academy into into Montverde over there, and and how do you think that uh, situation will shake out? Yeah, I think it's it's unique. It's um, you know, I think when you really study different academies around the country, of course, there's a model which I grew up with, you know, in Europe of having your having your academy side by side next to your second team, reserve team, USL, however you want to say it, and your 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 first team. Um, that's the model which I think ninety percent, ninety five percent of clubs will will go down. But um, you know, obviously, the ownership group at Orlando City decided. To go a different route and um, send them to Montverde. And, and the one thing you know about Montverde is the facilities are fantastic there. And I think if you want to develop young players, you need good facilities, good coaches. And, and um, you know, they've, they've got some excellent facilities there. Um, one thing that obviously Orlando City haven't quite got yet is obviously the, you know, the, the training facility. And mm-hmm. um, so I think the young players, the, the Development Academy players were, struggling a little bit with with the facilities and that's where it's become difficult so going to Montford gives them that straight away um but we'll see how it goes you know unfortunately that, that going to Montford means that they are a long way from the first team mm. you know they, they can always be that interaction and I'm, I'm sure there will be um but it is very unique um but uh, it's one of those that I think uh, as it goes on hopefully um it will continue to get better and and players the biggest thing is everybody wants you is it's just to produce players. That's the most important thing. However you're going to do it, you want to produce players. And I'm sure that's what the supporters want. They want to see the young local players playing playing for Orlando City. Uh, that's what they want. There's not, I don't think there's anything better for a supporter to see a player that, that, that's been with the club from 12, 13, grow through and, and become one of their players. And I think uh, that's what everybody wants. So, however, I think... They want to do it, whether it's Orlando City, New York Red Bulls, it doesn't matter. Everybody wants the same thing. And so that's what the ownership group want to do, is is, is, is obviously bring in young players. And this is how they think is, is the best way of doing it at the moment. So we'll see how it shakes out in the next uh, couple of years. But I'm sure it will continue to, to grow and uh, be, part of, be part of the club, you know. Outstanding. Well, Paul Shaw, Orlando City Youth Soccer Technical Director and uh, TV Analyst for Orlando City Games. Thank you so much for spending some time with us on this week's uh, edition of the Mainland Podcast. Thanks for inviting me. really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, we want to thank Paul Shaw once again for being with us this week on the Mainland Podcast. He was uh, He's a knowledgeable guy, Dave, and I appreciated uh, hearing what he had to say. Yeah, uh, really, uh, really good interview. And uh, of course, having that insight from somebody that's so close to the organization is really nice because, you know, we do our job as well as we can, but it's, it's, uh, his access is significantly better than ours.
Are you serious? Well, I don't know. Well, it's better than mine. Maybe not you. I mean, you are the managing editor of the mainland, so you know maybe yours is pretty good. Yeah, I'm lucky if they tell me when training is. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. They 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 definitely tell me, and it's always when I'm working. So, <laughs> right. <you know. laughs> wait, wait. This isn't your full time job. This isn't my full time no, job. No, no. Oh, Contrary to what some of our uh, readers and detractors would have you believe, I am not swimming in the cash right now from <laughs> from this little minor blog site that I happen to run. Uh, that's not. Yeah. That yeah, it's not. It's not getting it. It's not getting it done. Um, but yeah, the. It is. It's good to. It's good to hear from from someone like Paul, who's very knowledgeable about the game, and uh, he's he has a good way of breaking things down. And and uh, I found myself uh, agreeing with uh, with him along the way. So uh, mm-hmm. it, was, it was very uh, good to get his takes. And uh, we thank him again, because uh, you know it's it's always good to have guests and, and break up uh, just you and me, two clowns uh, talking about soccer. Uh, so that's going to be the shirt, two clowns talking about soccer. Two clowns talking about soccer, yeah. And then, you know, of course, that's going to hold us back, too, from making money because you can't make money because uh, so many people are afraid of clowns. So you can't, oh. you can't put them on the shirt. Um, and you definitely can't put us on the shirt. No, definitely. I was going to say, uh, <laughs> and, and we, we don't have enough money to get the rights for the uh, Grumpy Old Men mm. uh, logo. So uh, Yeah, or... or um, uh, one of the the two guys from the the Muppet Show, um, whose names escape me. Or, uh, it, uh, it'll come to me. Yeah. So anyway, uh, it's time for the mailbag, Dave. The Ask the Mainland podcast mailbag, and you can do that. Uh, you can ask us a question. We'll read it on the air and discuss it. Uh, you can do that a couple ways. You can email us at uh, themainland at gmail dot com. Uh, or you can uh, hit us up on Twitter. We are at the mainland. Make sure you at us. And, uh, and make sure you include the hashtag AskTMLPC, and uh, we will get to your questions. And uh, we have, uh, as far as I know, we only have two questions this week, Dave. And they're both from we the have three. S- we have three. We have two from the same person. Uh, Ryan Smith has asked us a couple of questions. I'm going to hit you with this first one. You're stranded on a deserted island, Dave, okay. and you get to take two lions and one pride player. Who do you take and why? Hmm. Okay. Um, Lions. I'm going to go with Yuri Rosell because, frankly, I want to meet the man. And since he hasn't made the field yet, uh, if if I'm going to be stranded on a desert island, at least I'll you know get to know him. And Joe Bendick. And the reason I'm taking Joe Bendick is maybe he can save us. Yeah, he's a, goal, he's a goalkeeper. There you go, Joe saves. Oh, and right, Joe saves. Right. Oh, and a pride player. Um, I'm going to take Carson Pickett because you know between talking to her last week and then seeing what she does on the field, I feel like she can overcome pretty much any obstacle that you put in her way. So I think she would be really good to have on a desert island with you, so that you know she'll she'll just she'll take the lead and, and take care of everything. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think that's those are all good good selections. Um, they definitely are. I, I'm gonna go with uh, three people that I think um, are good at uh, a keeping their cool and b okay. uh, you know sort of uh, figuring their way out of tough situations. Uh, and those would be uh, Jonathan Spector. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's a he's a cool, calm guy, and he can he can figure out his way out of uh, out of situations. Uh, you know, more often than not, even um, if he's got a head injury, yeah, he could figure out how to get back on the field. Um, 
so yeah, he's he's good at, he's good at what he does. Uh, I like your I like your Joe Joe saves uh, situation. That's always a good one. Uh, but I'm gonna say uh, for the second one, um, I'm gonna go with. Uh, oh boy, this is a lot of good choices. I, I, I took. I took your Joe saves, didn't I? Yeah, well, yeah, kind of, but I mean, that's not a big deal. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Scott Sutter. Scott Sutter seems like a guy who okay. who's got determination and and can can figure out a, you know ways to ways around problems. So I think yeah, Sutter and and Specter and um, you know uh, also the the other one that I was thinking about saying was was Marum just because uh, Marum seems like a, a real magician out there on the on the pitch sometimes and maybe uh, he could. Uh, create some of the magic to get us off the island uh but then on the pride side i think the person that does that 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 remains calm and and figures out uh ways to get out of situations is marta i think marta Uh. uh, is uh, is a player like that that she can you know when everything around her is hectic she she calms it down and um and and figures a way out of the danger so i think that she's a good candidate for that and another another good candidate would have been krieger in that situation too so yeah Absolutely. And hard to argue with any of those. Uh, frankly, uh, any of the uh, players on either squad uh, are in much, much better shape than I am. So having them out there is <laughs> just to just to do stuff is going to be is going to be helpful. Yeah, because I can't do anything. So uh, <laughs> I'm like not very handy. Uh, I, you know, if it was like if he hadn't been traded, I would have said uh, Servando because he can fish at least. You know, I can't even do that. So. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm fairly I'm fairly handy. I mean, my dad built houses and worked on cars, so I can do some stuff. Yeah. But still, uh, I, I would much rather have younger people doing it for me. Yeah, for sure. Younger and stronger people should be doing younger, all. Younger, stronger. People. They should be doing all the work for us old old guys. Um, so uh, that was a great question. I really appreciate we get these uh, questions that are sort of team related, but not really soccer related. So thanks, Ryan Smith, for that one. And Ryan has a second uh, question. And this one is a little more soccer related and uh, Orlando City related. Uh, Ryan wants to know, after seeing both uh, Lamine Sané and Amro Tarek together, would you ever consider a 4-4-2 with Spectre as the defensive midfielder or a 5-4-1 with all three center backs to allow for Elmanir and Sutter to overlap and have more coverage uh, like a Chelsea style of play from a few years ago? What do you think, Dave? Uh, you know, it's funny because we kind of just talked about that. Um, you know, my my original thought when I heard this question was, no, I, I want Specs in the back line. But after hearing what you you mentioned I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, OK, maybe. But I think we have I think we have a decent enough midfield that we wouldn't have to do that. So um, I would I would rather do the uh, the five four one uh, allowing all three cornerbacks to be on the field. But even then, I kind of don't want to do that because it's really nice that we have the ability to rotate center backs now. Mm-hmm. I think so, I think you said cornerbacks earlier. Did I? I think so. <laughs> you got the football thing going on. I got yeah. Well, you know, having <laughs> other, a good cornerbacks other, not bad. Yeah. That's that's good too. Yeah, you you definitely want three three good cornerbacks. Then you got a nickel, you know, and then yeah, you then you're, yeah, and you're in the nickel defense <laughs> and, and <laughs> center backs that yeah. is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I I would really like I, I like the idea that we can we can rotate those guys in and out at this point. Um, yeah, it's it's good. I, if you're asking me, would I ever consider it uh, on this current roster, Ryan? I would not, and the reason I would not is for the situation we're in right now. Is that uh, Jonathan Spector got hurt, 
And now you've got two guys, and then you've, you've still got Chris Schuler as a sort of a break glass in case of emergency option at center back. But, you know, realistically, you got three really pretty solid center backs, and yeah. I want two of them healthy and on the field and one of them waiting in the wings in case something happened to one of those guys. That's what I would like to see. Uh, and also, um, with the speed that they have, Tarek and Sané both could play that uh, midfield role probably a little bit easier even than Spectre could. So, um, yeah, I would I would personally not consider that, uh, but I'd like where your head's at. And I think certainly uh, everybody always wants to get their best players on the field. Um, and if we had really one more out, you know, standout uh, backup on the bench, then I, I would probably be down for a little more. But uh, probably not uh, under the certain uh, under, the, you know, the present situations. Um you know, that we're, that we're experiencing. So uh, thank you for both those questions, Ryan. Really appreciate that. Uh, we have one more question left, don't we, Dave? Uh, Mark Johnson has. Yes, indeed. That's a question. And, and Mark wants to know uh, if you could have one superstar EPL transfer on the level of Zlatan, who would you take? And I know who you would take. So I'm going to go first. <laughs> Yes, you go first, because Mark knew who I was going to take, yeah. too. Uh, and I'm not even going to take a Manchester United player, because, number one, I don't want to take away any of their talent. Uh, and number two, uh, I want um, former Roma player uh, Salah back on a team that I root for. So Salah from Liverpool would be a guy I would want, because, number one, Orlando City thin at striker. And number two, this guy is just crazy putting the, the ball in the net this year. And uh, that's what we need. So he's the guy, Salah from Liverpool. And now I have stolen Dave's Thunder. Dang it. You <laughs> did that to me on purpose. <laughs> yes, I did. Because you're right. That is absolutely who I was going to take. Oh, all right. Fine. Um, as payback against uh, Barca, <laughs> I'm going to take former Liverpool player uh, Philippe Coutinho uh, to get those balls into Mo Salah that you just brought over, and we will be scoring tons and tons and tons of Wait goals. Wait a minute, but is he an current e- a current? Oh, current that's EPL? right. He's not current EPL. Oh, well, wait, wait. Doesn't say current in the question. Okay, so it says, if you could have one superstar EPL transfer. So that to me means a player from the EPL that would transfer from uh, the EPL. So now you have to think a little more. All right. Okay. Okay. Fine. Fine. Um, well, like you said, we are we are a little uh, light at striker, so let's get the the number two guy in, and let's bring over Harry Kane. Good call. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. That's good. That's always good. And you know, there's there. I mean, any a lot of those guys, those top guys in the EPL, would come over here and score forty goals. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It would be. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So there you go. We've got Harry Kane and Mohamed Salah, and uh, give us MLS Cup, please. Uh, it would be done. Yeah. Thank you, Mark Johnson, for your question. Thanks to all who uh, send us questions every week. You can do that again by email, themainland at gmail.com, or on Twitter. We are at the mainland. Hit us up with uh, with our at, and then, uh, of course, the hashtag include is uh, AskTMLPC. And that will do it for this week's mailbag. Dave, we got the Red Bulls of New York slash Jersey uh, coming into Orlando this weekend. Uh, it's an afternoon game, and uh, we've got a 1 o'clock start. How do you see this in terms of the key matchup? And what is your score prediction, please? 
Okay, so key matchup for me is going to be our defense, in particular those center backs. We've mentioned that, uh, of course, Specs is out, so uh, Tarek and Sané are going to be uh, pairing together. How well do they do? Um, the Red Bulls offense has been fairly prolific so far this season. They've scored a lot of goals, so keeping them uh, out of the net is going to be uh, very important if we hope to have any type of chance. So for me, it's going to be uh, the defense in particular the center backs and what they can do to keep the Red Bulls out. My prediction so far this year, I have not predicted a loss and we have not gotten a win. So this time I'm going to predict that we go down to the Red Bulls two to one. Um, and I'm not going to make any predictions on who's scoring because I've been wrong about that as well. But uh, my hope is, is that by predicting we lose two one, we'll actually either draw or win. Hmm, okay. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, yes, the high press is going to be a problem, especially, uh, you know, I, I, I like your, you know, calling out the defense against uh, the likes of Bradley Wright Phillips, who is just amazing, uh, very difficult guy to stop. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, again, I'm going to stay with the high press and the, the pressing tendencies of the Red Bulls, uh, but I'm going to go a different way. I'm going to say this game is going to be very important in the midfield, and particularly after what I saw from Tyler Adams uh, this yeah. weekend, I, I think, Ty, or this week uh, for the U.S. men's national team, Adams uh, is going to present some problems. Um, you know, they've, they've got other uh, guys that are playing at a high level. Mule is uh, a Moyle, however you say his name, is playing with a high high level. <laughs> I can't I can't pronounce names. I'm terrible at pronouncing names. Um, and these are just guys that are, uh, you know, going to create headaches for Orlando City's midfield. And Orlando City's gotten into trouble this year by turning the ball over mostly – in the midfield, mostly it's been counterattacks. It's been, um, you know, the bad back pass from Yoshi, uh, the giveaway from from Question. So the the midfield uh, of Orlando City has been giving the ball away in, in otherwise technically sound games, and that those few breakdowns have been really killing the team. So um, it, it's not going to be any different this week. That's where it's got to get cleaned up. It's got to get. Uh, it, it's got to be crisp. It's got to be precise. It's got to deal with that pressure. And um, you know they may have to uh, concede more possession by kicking the ball down the field a few times to get uh, to get the heat off. But they definitely uh, can't. Uh, you know can't make mistakes if you're trying to play out the back uh, against the Red Bulls. That's uh, that's a that's a. a, a, a that's just a strategy that's going to get you in trouble if you make mistakes. <laughs> so uh, that's where my key matchup is. Uh, like you, um, like I told you, I think in chat, I don't know if I said it on the air yet, I can't predict a win now until they win. So show right. me you can win, and I'll predict a win. I like your 2-1 scoreline. I think that sounds right just based on Orlando's inability to score and, uh, and the Red Bulls' uh, ability to score. Um, yeah. I will. I don't know who's going to score. I, I'd like to see Chris Mueller get his first uh, MLS goal. So maybe that's uh, somebody. But it, it's probably going to be somebody unexpected. The last time the Red Bulls came to Orlando City Stadium, Servando Carrasco scored a goal. <laughs> so you never know where that goal is going to come from. It could be anybody. Uh, Hemro Tarek, it's yeah. your turn. My other uh, prediction is that Carlos Rivas clears the Heineken sign uh, for the Red Bulls this time. Well, that will feel it will be so nostalgic uh, of a feeling. And I'm certain that the Heineken sign is very, very worried. Well, 
I'll tell you this. Will there have ever been a louder cheer for Carlos Rivas than if he clears the <laughs> Heineken sign as a member of the Red Bulls? No, it, the stadium will be a rocket. It will explode if he, especially if it's, <laughs> especially if he starts and it's early in the game and he just absolutely clobbers one into the upper deck over. I mean, the place will go nuts because, um, you know, instead of being frustrated by that same uh, action that we've seen over the last three years, this would be a, a situation where we'd enjoy that one. So, um, yeah, that would be you interesting. Know. I had heard that uh, before he went to the Red Bulls, uh, Elon Musk was uh, talking to him about how to launch things uh, into upper atmospheres, um, but uh, evidently he wanted to keep playing soccer. Do not quit the day job, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> now starring at the Chuckle Hut, David Rowe, <laughs> Chuckle Hut, uh, Tallahassee. Uh, <laughs> hey, they knew what they were getting when they started listening to this podcast. Uh, yeah, let's blame it on the listeners. That's right. <laughs> it's all on you. It's all, on all right. Well, why don't we put a bow on this particular edition, uh, number 118 of the Mainland Podcast? A uh, big, big weekend coming up. The Pride are at Washington. The uh, Lions are hosting the Red Bulls. And uh, it should be a dandy weekend of soccer if all goes well. If all goes badly, it will be. Um, I won't want to read the comments. I might disable the comments. I might delete my Twitter and the, <laughs> the website's Twitter uh, and, uh, you know, Facebook and that whole thing. It's going to be it's going to be a nightmare. So we don't want that. We don't want the nightmare of two bad results this weekend. We uh, again, I'm going to say what I've been saying. If you know, let's figure out where this thing is at the end of April and then we can figure out if we need to panic and abandon ship. Uh, I'm not going to do it, even if there's a loss this weekend. You're playing one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And, yes, you need to some at some point start getting wins. And you at some point need to start competing with these top teams in the conference. I agree with all of that. Uh, this has been a very difficult beginning for a variety of reasons. Uh, but I still think that if you keep your eye on the big prize and the overall picture, this is a roster that's put together that is capable of being one of the best teams in the league. Uh, I haven't seen any evidence that, you know, tells me that it can't be. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But uh, uh, big game certainly on uh, on Saturday. And uh, Orlando City has not always done extremely well against New York. But um, there's some points there. If uh, if they can just uh, take them, that's, uh, that remains to be seen. So... Big, big week. And then, of course, after this weekend, uh, the uh, you'll see Ashlyn Harris and uh, Alex Morgan go off to the U.S. Women's National Team. The Pride will be on international break uh, over the weekend of the 7th and 8th as the U.S. Women's National Team plays a pair of friendlies against Mexico. Um, the, uh, the Lions, after they play on Saturday... Uh, will next play the uh, Portland Timbers at home on the 8th, and that's a Sunday. So uh, lots of stuff going on, and uh, we'll be here to talk about it. We'll be here to, to break down the uh, Pride and Orlando City matches and look ahead to Orlando City versus Portland and the U.S. Uh, against Mexico uh, on the women's side. So, uh, And that's actually going to be a, a crazy week, uh, the week of April 8th. Uh, you've got Orlando City versus Portland on Sunday the 8th, and then on the 13th, which is a Friday, uh, the trip to Philadelphia. So uh, it's a two two games in just uh, 
six days. So that that will be that will be fun, a fun little turnaround. And who knows, maybe the whole team will be healthy by then. <laughs> uh, one can hope one can hope all right so uh that'll do it for episode number 118 thanks again to paul shaw for being with us uh on the mainland podcast uh you can please uh you know check out our writing all of our writings on the mainland.com we'll have full coverage of the orlando city and orlando pride upcoming matches uh pre-game and post-game and of course, uh, follow us on Twitter. We uh, live tweet the games, so those are those are fun. If you can't watch uh, and you have your phone handy, uh, we'll keep you up to date on all that's going on. And like us on Facebook, and uh, of course, tell your friends to subscribe to this here podcast and uh, and enjoy it and download it regularly and all that good stuff. So, uh, and write us a five star review. That's right, write us a five star review. We'll read it on the air. I didn't even get a chance to look this week, Dave, but since we're already signing off. I will read it next week if there's a new one. So I apologize if anybody left us a new one and expected it to be read this week. Put it down to our discombobulation of uh, recording on Wednesday instead of Tuesday, because uh, that's what I'm doing. And um, we'll be back. Yeah, that, that makes yeah, sense. We'll be back to do it all next week. So uh, on behalf of David Rowe, I'm Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of the mainland.com, signing off by saying go city and go pride.